Um, wow, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Man, hallelujah. All we have is Christ. And uh, that's why we're here this Sunday morning. That's why we open up God's word. We're going to continue to worship and see that all we have is Christ in this life of love that we're called to. We're looking at Romans 12 this morning. And just a reminder, again, if, uh, if you're newer here uh, you're, or you're still considering if Christianity is true or not, the reason we open the Bible is because we learn about Jesus in the Bible. And what we learn from Jesus is not only how to love God, yes, first and foremost, but secondly, we learn how to love our neighbor. And that's what we're looking at this morning from Romans 12. We're in a series of renewal. We're asking the question, what does it look like if the Holy Spirit transforms this church? What are the images that, uh, that we should be seeing that demonstrate that the Holy Spirit's doing a work here? And uh, we've seen images like the pa- passion for Christ as a church, a heart of repentance, a love for God's word, a delight in theology. Last week, the pulpit, friends, is still on fire from Doug Fern's sermon last, last week. Wow! And uh, it was just so awesome. And what we learned last week, right, was the fourth image of renewal is that doctrine matters. As we move forward as a church, doctrine matters at Parkview Church. What we believe, doctrine, about Jesus matters. Now, this week, fifth image of renewal is love. Doctrine matters and love matters matters. Romans 12, 1 to 2, doctrine, a church in renewal, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, understanding the doctrine of God's mercy in Christ. Romans 12, 3 to 16, love, humility and love. And this is a very important issue uh, because right now, us as Christians, uh, we, we've forgotten how to love each other. I mean, just look at the comment section on some social media page of a thoughtful Christian leader. Maybe they've come out with uh, an opinion on something. Just a a thoughtful, well-written essay. You'll notice in the comment section the kind of angry, volatile, uh, just emotion that we have towards one another as Christians, and we've forgotten how to love. In fact, you know, research shows that a lot of young people are leaving the church not primarily because they've explored the, the doctrine of Christianity, the teachings of Christianity, and they thought, nope, that's not true. A lot of times it's because they look around them in the churches they were raised, and they see, I hear about the love of Jesus, but what I see is the opposite to the love and gentleness of Christ. And so this is so crucial, what we're learning about this morning. And I hope what you see today from Romans 12 is that the church gives, that Jesus gives the church, us, resources to live a life of humility and love. That's what Romans 12 is all about. A church in renewal is a church pursuing humility and love. Romans 12, 3 to 16. So I'm going to read the text out loud. We're all going to listen intently to God's word. And then I'll pray and we'll move forward. Hear now the word of the Lord for us. Romans 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who act, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. This is God's word. It is true and it's given to us in love. If you're willing, please pray with me. Father, we pray every week that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would exalt Jesus from this text into our hearts for your glory. Make us a people of humility where each of us is convinced that we have a gift from you or multiple gifts from you that we can use to bless this church. Make us a people of a radiant passionate, holding nothing back, earnest, Christ-exalting love. May all we do, may all we do as a church be done in love. Oh, Lord, what could you do in Iowa City, in Johnson County, and globally with a church filled with people earnest in love for one another? Just as Christ has loved us. Father, this is what we, we want more than anything else. For the beauty of Christ to be displayed through our love. Take us there by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Parkview, I want you to spend a few moments right now. And I want you to think about what were the primary factors of why you became a Christian. Maybe you're here, you're not yet a Christian, and maybe you can just think about maybe why you should become a Christian. But if you're a Christian, if you're here, Parkview Church, take a few moments and think about the primary factors as to why you became a Christian. Just think about it for a second. Okay. Here's my assumption. My assumption is this. 95% of us just probably thought about two factors. Two factors the Lord used to help us become Christians, okay? Now, there's probably, you know, numerous factors, but they're probably all under these two categories, and the categories are these. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. Gospel doctrine is, is this. We, at some point in our lives, heard the truth about Jesus, and it made sense to us. Gospel doctrine. We heard about his perfect life of love, his sacrificial death on the cross, on our behalf, bearing our punishment for our sin. We heard about his bodily resurrection, through which we receive new life by the Spirit, received with empty hands of faith. And all of this truth, this doctrine, reliably and accurately revealed in the Bible, God's Word. We heard, at some point, gospel doctrine. We heard it with our ears. And yet, I assume in your life, it was not just a solo moment of you just looking at the Bible by yourself, 
But a gospel culture happened. And what I'm not referring to is how we use, you know, the phrase American culture, not how we use the word culture in that sentence, that phrase. But culture as a relational environment. How people interact together. That's what I mean by culture. Where someone or a group of people not only spoke gospel doctrine about the love of God and Jesus Christ, what we believe about God's love for us in Christ, but someone loved you into life in Jesus. Gospel doctrine and gospel culture. We hear gospel doctrine with our ears, but we must see it with our eyes in how Christians interact with each other, gospel culture. My story of faith in Jesus is just that. I became a Christian because I was part of a great church that clearly taught the truth about Jesus. They, they taught good doctrine, what we believe as Christians, and it made sense of my life. It made sense to who I was and what I was experiencing, what I saw in the world. And the very same time, with my eyes, I saw, I witnessed a gospel culture in my home in which my mom and my dad had a constant pattern of relating to me in gentleness and forgiveness and care and love. Gospel doctrine, gospel culture. And here's why it's so important. Theologian Ray Ortland says it like this. Faithfulness, get this, faithfulness to the gospel, Parkview Church, Faithfulness to the gospel requires more than, not less than, but more than doctrinal purity in our churches. Faithfulness to the gospel also requires relational beauty in our churches. It is possible for a church to sincerely preach true doctrine while at the very same time utterly deny that doctrine by an ugly anti-gospel culture. So Parkview, what we are talking about this morning from Romans 12, what a gospel culture looks like, is not some secondary or third level issue on Jesus's agenda for the church, or a footnote that we can kind of read at the bottom or skim past, and it's not that big of a deal. Jesus himself says, this is a matter of utmost urgency for us as a church in our mission. John 13, uh, Devin read John 15, Jesus repeats the same thing. Uh, John 13, he says, by this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, love for one another. Jesus did not say there, by this all people know you're my disciples, by your faithfulness to teach about the gospel. Now, that's true, and we see that elsewhere in the New Testament. But what Jesus was intent on as he's going up to crucifixion on a cross is to remind his disciples that it is how they interact and relate to each other that actually is a witness to this world. Because what happens is this, our world is lost in sin and condemnation and darkness and therefore does not know how to truly love and embrace and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And so where do they learn that if not by looking at the church? And unfortunately, the church oftentimes does not have a great track record of embodying the love of Jesus that we proclaim through our lips. And so what we're looking at here at Romans 12, I am probably most passionate about maybe than anything else in the Bible other than Jesus. 
is how the church ought to reflect what Jesus is like, what Jesus feels like, what Jesus tastes like, and how we relate to each other. Romans 12 is so crucial, friends. So let's, let's work through Romans 12, 3 to 16. And the question we're answering is this. If the gospel of God's saving love in Jesus puts on skin and bone in a church, what should it look like? What should it look like? Romans 12, 3 to 16 answers it this way. A church embracing gospel culture, a church in renewal embracing gospel culture is a church pursuing humility and love. A church pursuing humility and love. Verses 3 to 8, a humble community. Let's look at a humble community in verses 3 to 8. Paul explains what humility is here in verse 3. Look down with me, please. He says, did you notice the word? Everyone. Everyone, 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 everyone among you must not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober, honest judgment, meaning uh, an honest assessment, okay? And what we're assessing is, the last part of verse 3, is assess yourself according to the faith God has assigned, meaning the God-given capacity to bless his church with the gifts he has given to you. I mean, the context spills this out in verses four to eight. Paul roots his thinking, look at in the image of a body with many members. Look at verse four. For as in one body, we have many members, many parts, and the members do not all have the same function. So we are individually members belonging together in the same body of Christ. So humility is a right assessment of yourself in light of how God has given you individual gifts to bless the wider community. And apparently Paul's concerned, and he actually talks about this in Philippians 2. If you're familiar with the New Testament, Philippians 2 talks about the importance of putting on uh, humility uh, in a community, unity through humility. Paul's concerned in, in Philippians 2, he says, uh, not to think of yourself more highly or to think others are more significant than yourself. Paul's kind of using that same phrase here in Romans 12. Because in a, in, a, in a community, what's easy for us to do is to look sideways on what everyone else has or doesn't have, compare ourselves, and then think we're either significant or insignificant based on looking this way. But what Paul is saying, you need to look upward. What is the gifts God has given you? And just get busy using them. Look at verses 6 to 8. A humble community in action. Having gifts that defer, what does it say? He says, let's use them. Let's use them. Now, then he says there's public gifts, you know, more public gifts like prophecy or teaching. There's behind-the-scenes gifts such as serving or generosity. The, the issue here is Paul's not trying to get, here's kind of all the gifts someone could possibly have. Because other, you know, in 1 Corinthians, we're going through 1 Corinthians, there's kind of a different list of, of spiritual gifts. And so what Paul's just trying to say is this. No matter our gifts, we are called, very simply, we are called, every Christian is called to use your gifts, to put them into practice in order to bless the whole community. And this exhortation in verses 3 to 8 rescues a church from two dangers. The two dangers of any church is apathy on one side and competition on the other. On the one hand, look at verse 3 where it says, everyone everyone is part of the body, verses 4 to 5, and therefore is exhorted by Paul to use their gifts, verse 6. Everyone using their gifts to bless the body. That is what the Bible just told us. And therefore, it's inescapable that if you are a Christian, but not a committed member serving in an area of need in the church, something has gone wrong with your discipleship. 
The solution, therefore, is not primarily to, you know, go online and take a spiritual gifts survey. That can be helpful in a certain way. But the primary thing you probably should do is if you're not serving is to walk up to a leader like myself or Doug Fern and Thomas are back there or Steve Rashke's over there or whatever leader in the church that is aware of different needs and simply ask, I want to help. How can I help serve in this community? How can I use my gifts? Because the key is this, you have gifts. If you are in Christ, as it says in verse four and five, if you're in Christ, you have, by the Holy Spirit, been given gifts to bless the wider community. And these gifts can be used more in a structured way, like helping with kids' church, by the way, there's needs in the children's ministry for servants, or a more relational, organic way, like meeting for coffee on a weekly basis, or over a Zoom to talk with someone from your community group, opening up a psalm, reading a psalm, and then praying about it together. In both ways, you're serving to bless. You are using your gifts. According to the New Testament, every Christian, if you are a Christian, okay, I, this is not my pastoral opinion or an idea. This is, God's, this is God's word. God's word tells us that everyone in the church is to be involved in ministry in some form or capacity, helping others know Jesus and grow in Jesus. There should be, right now, one, at least one pathway in your life where you're turning around to help another Christian in their relationship with Jesus. That is what the New Testament calls every Christian. Verse 3, it doesn't say, let me talk to the pastoral staff or let me talk to a few of the members. It says everyone is gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit with certain gifts that they are called to use in the body. That kills a culture of apathy in a church. But also, what Paul's talking about here in verse 3 to 8 helps us kill a culture of competition. Competition that happens in a Christian community where we think of our gifts as either less than or more important than other people. But what Paul's talking about in verse 3 is humility says you're not so bothered and fed up with and kind of controlled by what others are doing. You're focused on your relationship with the Lord and just getting busy and serving and blessing others. In fact, a culture in a church that is living out, verses 3 to 8, will become a church where it's normal and wonderful to simply encourage one another in how the Lord is uh, using our gifts and blessing the church. It should be a normal part of a healthy church culture is that we identify one another's gifts as beautiful expressions of the Holy Spirit at work in our life and through our life to bless the church. The difference looks like this. In an apathetic community, the question is, does this church meet my needs? In a humble community, in a gospel culture of humility, the question becomes, what needs does this church that I can meet? Does this church have that I can meet? In a competitive community, the question is, are my gifts better or less than the other people's gifts in this community? That's a competitive environment. But in a humble community, what's happening is we're growing and asking the question, how can I celebrate another person's gifts? Who can identify that I've seen recently use our gifts to bless the kids or to do something more kind of behind the scenes, but that's so crucial for the work of this church? How can I identify them and speak in encouragement of how the Lord is at work in their life? I see this happening at, at East Campus, Doug Fern. Shout out to you, brother. Um, East Campus, you know, I love worshiping at East Campus. Uh, many of us probably don't have the privilege and, and honor of, of you know, going there because we're, we're here, but you know, East Cam Campus, Aiden is, our, is the worship intern. 
at East Campus, he, he just has a marvelous gift of gathering um, a bunch of people to, to, to use their musical gifts to bless the church. And so supposedly I have heard that this Sunday at East Campus, there's a fiddle. Okay, when's the last time you're at a worship service and a fiddle was being played? So I just love, you go on East Campus and you just see a diverse group of people using their gifts. Someone, one of our elders, Len Brooks, has, is using his 12-string guitar, I think. I mean, just amazing, okay? And it's just so fun to see that. I also saw recently at our college gathering, um, you know, just our students uh, leading. Uh, this past Wednesday, our students led the entire, start to finish, the entire college gathering. And... Uh, uh, one student was using their gifts of hospitality to welcome others. Another was teaching God's word. Another was speaking encouragement about the Lord through his, his testimony. And wow, uh, the Spirit was just at work in our students, blessing the wider community. I hear about it at Ambassadors, Steve Ratchke. Uh, I, I see this happen with small group leaders in our student ministry. I've been more uh, part of that. It's been so exciting to see that. Here's the deal, okay, Park, this is what's happening right now at our church. The Holy Spirit is throwing a huge gospel party in honor of our Lord Jesus, and he's invited you to come participate. And the question is, will you come to the party, bring the gift, and using your gift to bless everyone else? If not, you are missing out on a super fun time. The Lord's at work here, and we all got a gift to use, so what's holding us back to just coming and all in for Christ, using our gifts to bless this church? Oh yeah, all right, that's number one, a humble community using our gifts to bless others. That's number one, it's the first mark of a gospel culture. The second mark is a loving community, a loving community. Wow, okay. Loving community, verses nine to 16. And uh, there's so many aspects of this section. I counted, it's about 18 commands. So we don't have time to go through every single one of those commands and then make little applications. I mean, we'd be here uh, forever. But I don't have time for that. Instead, I just want us to notice something that's just right there in the text, okay? Verses 9 to 16, what it teaches about a gospel culture where we not only hear about the love of Jesus with our ears, but see the love of Jesus with our eyes in our relationships Verse 9 and 16 show us that we should be a church. We should be a church growing into a church that has active and affectionate love for one another as the normal pursuit of every person in the church. In a healthy church where gospel culture is happening and it's being renewed by the Spirit, active and affectionate love for others. That type of love is happening all the time by every person in the community. Verse 9 shows us, right, about love, right? It says, let love be genuine. In the original text in the Greek, it basically it says, the love. That's the first part of this whole section, okay? And so what we basically recognize is that everything that flows from verse 9 downward is just an example of what love looks like. It's just different types of love according to different needs, okay? So verse 13, an act of love contributes to the needs of the saints. It shows hospitality. We understand that the heart of Jesus is a hospital for sinners and those who are in need, and therefore we open up our lives to welcome those in our love. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. We understand as a church that while Jesus was being crucified, he was forgiving those persecuting him, and therefore it will be no different for us who follow our Lord. Verse 16, we are called to live in harmony with one another. A whole church that knows Jesus and his active love becomes a church that, like Jesus, has a magnet towards human need. 
that we cannot resist, we cannot hold ourselves back, we cannot stop finding a need here in this community and doing some type of action to bring blessing, hospitality, contribution, or harmony to that area of need. That's the act of love that we are called to. Every Christian is called to this here at Parkview Church, but not only an act of love, but an affectionate love. Look at verse 9. It talks about uh, love being genuine, sincere, authentic heart coming from within, overflowing to how we interact with others. Verse 9, love hates what is evil and clings to what is good. Verse 10, love shows brotherly affection by outdoing one another and showing honor to one another and showing honor to one another. A church that understands that Jesus is the one who loved us with great affection, who has raised us from the place of shame to the place of highest honor in his kingdom. A church that gets a hold of that type of brotherly affection, love from our Lord Jesus becomes a church that's able to speak affection and honor to one another. And we can practice this right now. I want to practice this right now. Ethan Patterson, I love you, brother, and I honor you as a gospel man. We just saw on the video, the very beginning, you have created a culture of love in how you pursue young men in your life. There is a pocket of, Parker, did you know this? There's a pocket of young men, college students in our church that know Jesus and are loving Jesus because of Ethan Patterson. You are amazing, and I love you, brother, and I honor you. We can all do that type of honoring. It's open to all of us. It's available to everyone. It's super fun. Why not? Let's just try it all the time. Verse 15, love is sympathetic. It rejoices with those who rejoice, and it weeps with those who weeps. A a, a church that's growing in love for Christ and having his love shape our relationship has a multifaceted type of love. Depending on where the person's at, we can rejoice with them and celebrate because the the Lord in his goodness is blessing them in some way. Or we can weep with them because they are suffering some type of tragedy or, or pain. I mean, all of us this week, right, we can all use our iPhones to call up a friend here at Parkview and start the conversation something like this. Hey, brother, or hey, sister. Hey, you just came to mind, and I've been wondering about you. You told me last week uh, about things going on with your mom. Are you doing okay? And just see what the Holy Spirit would do. We can all do that type of love. We can all do it. In fact, the Lord Jesus wants all of us to do that type of love. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Love is active. Love is affectionate. At Parkview Church, who? Who can you love this week? I want to go one level deeper into this vision of love. And I want you to sink down in verse 11. I fell in love. I fell in love with verse 11 this week, guys. I fell in love with verse 11. Notice the emotional temperature of a gospel culture. (laughs) Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Other translations kind of get to the heart here of what this means. Fervent in spirit means be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. Parkview Church, verse 11, is in the middle of this joyous passage on love. Because what Jesus commands in love, he provides by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love is not something we just create. Christ fills us with his love through the Spirit and pours out in fervency and earnestness towards others. Verse 11 says, we are to serve the Lord. And how do we serve the Lord if not by loving our neighbor with all our heart? And so this is it, right? 
This means that apathetic, lazy, half-hearted love has no room in the church of Jesus. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus loves us with a white, hot intensity. Jesus came from heaven to earth and turned the volume of love to max. He's not a slothful, half-hearted Savior. The zeal of the Lord consumed our Savior to pour out his life in love for others. Romans 5, God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love. He made our salvation a matter of utmost urgency, the highest priority. He gave it all he had out of love for you. And therefore, our Lord Jesus was not crucified to death and raised to new life so that he could create a country club atmosphere here at Parkview of niceness and politeness. No way. Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from death, and he pours out his Holy Spirit's power upon the church so that Parkview Church can become a church zealously in love with one another holding nothing back in the way we serve and bless. We go all in for love for each other because Christ has gone all in in his love for us. Parkview Church, Romans 12, 3 to 16, is showing us this very simply. We must, we must, this is the Bible. I'm just re-speaking what the Bible is saying. For us to become a church of love, we are to passionately love one another because the Lord is passionately loved us. And this is what this means. It means that with every fiber in our being, can we promise each other right now, and you online, you online, uh, just promise, uh, you know, those in the living room, that from this day forward, at Parkview Church, we kill a culture of spiritual consumerism. We crucify that at the cross of Christ, and instead we pick up by the Holy Spirit earnest, affectionate love. We crucify the attitude of wondering if my individual needs are the ultimate concern, where passive observation is a status quo, where lazy spiritual indulgence is crucified at the cross of the full-hearted love of Jesus Christ. That is what our Lord calls us to. We trade in our spectator lazy boys of observation Christianity. It may work for the Super Bowl. It doesn't work for Jesus. And we grab our cleats. We put on our helmet. We get on the field because it's game time. It's game time and we're all playing. We're all playing. Let's join the huge gospel party the Holy Spirit is throwing in honor of Jesus. Let's go all in in love. Parker, let's just remember, I'll I'll finish with this, and then we're gonna spend some time reflecting on this, okay? Remember verse three. Remember who Paul is talking to. Verse three, he's talking to everyone. All of us are invited in to the great adventure that matters for eternity, the great adventure of love, of learning how to love one another as Christ has loved us. It begins on Sunday morning where each of us comes five minutes early so that we can ready our hearts to worship our Lord Jesus because we know that when we sing, Colossians 3, 16, as we sing, our brothers and sisters in Christ are, are being loved because they're learning about Jesus. And then, guess what? We stay five minutes after on Sundays so we can just talk to each other about what we just learned about Jesus. And we can pray for each other. That type of normal love becomes normal here at Parkview Church. Little kids, you get to join the party. If you're online, little kids, um, what's one way you can express your love for mom and dad this week? 
you get to join the fun with Jesus. Okay, junior high, high school students, um, your friends are adrift in a sea of loneliness and despair, and COVID is making it worse. And so who today, junior high, high school students, maybe you use your iPhone, and you reach out to that friend that you know is struggling, and you say, hey, can we have a phone call this week? And just listen to them. Wow. College student, let's set the U of I campus ablaze with the love of Christ, okay? What does the equality-loving U of I campus long for more than anything? It's a community where both men and women are dignified, honored, and celebrated with the gifts that they have been given. Singles, mom and dad, retired, we're all a part of this. We all have different spaces in our schedule that we can fill with, uh, with pursuits of love. We all have different callings in different ways. But let's make it an effort to find specific people this week and next week and the week after that that we can love, that we can call, that we can meet for coffee, that we can do a Zoom time and just say, how are you doing really? And just talk to them about Jesus. Let's love each other to life in Jesus. Leadership at Parkview Church. I want to finish talking to you. Leadership at Parkview Church, a culture of love in this church begins with us. It begins with us. Verse 11, serve the Lord with zeal. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another, brotherly affection. The Spirit sets a fire in our bones, and then he spreads it like a wildfire to this congregation. And so in our love, let's hold nothing back from one another as a staff in our love, and let's hold not, let's go all in in loving these amazing dear men and women in Christ. The Lord has entrusted them to us, and we as a staff, we as elders, we are called primarily more than anything else to the work of love. Okay, I want to end doing this. I just want to spend some time in prayerful reflection. And I'm going to give, uh, we're going to do two rounds of prayer, okay? The first round is going to look at humility. Okay, where are you at personally in your, in your life in terms of using your gifts humbly to serve others? Okay, and then round two is going to be about love. Who are the people in your life the Lord's calling you to love like Romans 12 calls you to? Okay, so a time of reflection before the Lord. We'll begin with round one, humility. Spend some time in prayer before the Lord. How can you use your gifts to humbly serve and bless this body? Let's move to round two, focusing on our love and specifically asking yourself the question before the Lord, who is the person or the people here at Parkview, at home, apartment friend, family members, who can you love this week and what will that love look like? Pray now with the Lord.
Father, we want to be a church where all that we do is done in love. Teach us the humility of Christ, the love of Christ, and make this here at Parkview a gospel culture where in our relationships together we display just how good, how lovely, how humble, how wonderful Jesus is. And this can only happen through the power of your spirit. So come and pour out your spirit's power for this type of humility and love, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. And so you can feel free to grab the communion cup that's been provided out there. Uh, Also a moment now, if you don't have one of these, to go out there and grab one. In communion, let's remember what we're doing here. Communion is the, the, the family meal of love, where we together as a community of love remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. It's the meal that sustains us, that comforts us, that teaches us about who we are in Christ and all the goodness that we have in him. And the reality is, is that we are so weak, we so often fail, we stumble and fumble in sin all the time, and therefore we doubt, we doubt, don't we, that God really actually loves us. And so communion, in his kindness, Jesus gives us this meal, communion, as a visible representation of his loving death for us. Through this meal, God is preaching the gospel to you that right now all of your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so that means that we are to respond to this meal by faith. Uh, If you've given your sinful failures to Jesus and you've received from him his forgiveness and everlasting love, this meal is for you. But if you're here and you're still not there yet with Jesus, we ask that you would not partake of this and instead just spend the time praying or just wondering if this is true. So what we are celebrating here, friends, at this At this time is the best news that in love, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Friends, this is the heart of Parkview. This is what Christianity is all about. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed to crucifixion, eyewitness testimony tells us that he shared this meal one last time with his followers. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Family, this is the body of Christ, given for you in love. Let's take this together. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Family, this is the cup of the new covenant, forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ. Let's let's enjoy this together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we confess with the whole church around the world that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Through this meal, Father, we gather as a community to see the depth of your love for us. Father, Father, how much you love us. Therefore, all glory goes to you. Thank you so much for Christ, your son, who has taken our sins upon himself in his crucifixion and has buried them in death and has been raised to new life and has given us the Holy Spirit so that we would be a people of love. Oh, Lord, we wait eagerly with hope for the resurrection of our bodies where you make all things new. And we eat this meal again in the beauty of your presence of love. We give you glory. Amen.